You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, From the AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show, it's AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome into the Penny Dreadful After Show, episode two, entitled Seance. Thank you so much for joining us here on AfterBuzz TV. I am Bobby DeMuro. Uh, this is the first episode for me. I wasn't here last week, so I'm very excited to join you guys. Uh, I've got a great panel. They're all beautiful, and they're all hilarious ladies. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you, ladies? We're, we're doing well. Here we are. <laughs> Marissa Serafini, Roxy Stryer, Tiana Hobson, left to right, I suppose. Happy yes. to be here. Yes. And happy to have you guys with us this week. Yeah, yeah. joining us. We That's had to nice. hold down the ship last week solo, but That's okay. we're, we're happy that you guys are here now. We're strong panel. Hey, I believe number one on the top ten After Buzz TV most downloaded podcast, so thank you guys, and it's only yes. getting better. Oh my goodness, I so love this show. It's my new favorite show, and I'm like obsessed. This is, guys, we actually, Marissa and I do Salem, which is very similar. <laughs> yeah. This is like on another level, though. I love this. It's so good. Ooh. I mean, you, there's so many mysterious things getting interlocked into this show, so who knows? There's a bunch of questions every single episode. And Josh Hartnett is back, and he means business. Oh, oh. yeah, he does. Even hearing this music right now as we're starting, it gets me in that, it's like almost that anxious, claustrophobic feeling <laughs> that I get when I watch a show in the best way. That's kind of like claustrophobic. No, that's how I feel when I watch it. Marissa, when we sit through the intro, Marissa and I watch together. When we sit through the intro, she covers her eyes and says, tell me when it's done, tell me when it's done, because she can't watch the spiders. It's the spiders. I I can't. Hey, no, before the spiders, though, before we get into our topics today, the very first scene, which we're not really going to cover too much on the show, what about that girl, though? Talk about claustrophobic. Are you ever going to be able to walk down a street alone at night again? Or eat an apple again? I do all the time. What are you talking about? No, you're you're one of them crazies. (laughs) Absolutely not. Or sit near or a window or anything. I think no. we're going to need to walk in a group in a to group. our cars tonight. I just feel like because none of us are whores, we're good. <laughs> yeah, at least, it's at least point. I'm not a whore, you, so. You might Speak have spoken yourself. too soon. <laughs> but my question is, is this thing just after women or is anyone, any random pickings? Well, let's talk about that because there's two things to me there's two things going on it's the jack the ripper or whatever you want to call it the real murderer Mm storyline and then there's the supernatural murderer storyline and i don't think we yet know where they intersect so to me i think the one we saw today it's 50 50 that might be a real murderer and it might be something else Right. Um, I, I think it's an interesting point you make that we don't know at one, if these are intersecting or if they're completely separate. Um, I brought up the whole window thing because I noticed that anytime somebody, I've called it getting sucked because I don't know what it, you're getting sucked out. Um, yeah, you're get whatever it is. There seems to be a window or something to do with outside. So was this woman in the intro tonight, uh, this blonde woman that was sitting there, was she being sucked or was she being murdered? We see that her arm is actually detached from her body uh, at the end, which would make me think that this is the murdering type, not the sucking type. Well, and, and 
one thing to think about with that, she's not the first one murdered tonight. That old guy who is lighting the um, street lights is murdered first. Mm-hmm. And, and if we take your sucking theory, which I think is actually a good one, sucking, sucking theory. <laughs> Let's use Roxy's sucking theory. Speaking of horse. <laughs> if, we take, if we take the sucking theory, to me, it seemed like he was sucked and she was murdered. Like mm-hmm. her arm was chopped off or something. But the guy lighting the candles, he goes off into the fog and he sort of gets... Sucked out of nowhere and disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. And these people who are getting sucked, we have to think it's for a greater purpose uh, based on Mina and the storyline there. So I don't think they would have left behind an arm if if they were using her body to either put something in her body or inhabit whatever that is. Yeah. Do you think there was two separate things that took both of these people in this episode? I mean, it happened so fast, back to back. Do we think it was just one person in the same scene or two different mysterious things that killed both of them. I went with two, just because the guy you didn't hear any screams or anything from, and from her, you know, she sees whatever it is approaching, there's a scream, you see blood, and so there's a natural reaction, whereas he just kind of, like, whoosh, disappeared. Right, but if it is two separate things, I mean, it's too big of a coincidence that they took place at the same time, so they have to be intertwined somehow if it is two different things. Maybe every time there's a supernatural, there's an actual killing, or every time there's an actual murder, something supernatural happens to something nearby. I'm I'm not sure, but there's no way back-to-back like this. They didn't have anything to do with each other. I agree with you completely. It's one entity with two separate goals Mm -hmm. at at some level. And we don't know what those goals are right now. I think it might have been two because with the the guy who we saw vanish, and we didn't see what or who took him. And then we saw the second woman. She looked at the creature, whatever, for a while. It seems like she might knew him or was just, like, petrified by what she was seeing. So something that took her. And they set the scene with her, actually. She unwraps the apple in that Jack the Ripper newspaper, Mm -hmm. you know, the whatever ripped again, whatever. And very low-cut top with her. The real Jack the Ripper, the historical Jack the Ripper, went after prostitutes. Mm -hmm. And so they're setting the scene that this is another prostitute. prostitute. So this mm-hmm. may be, to Marissa's point, a real human doing the killing on her and the man being sucked out. A hell of a coincidence. Right. So maybe this is some sort of a karma-type situation, um, greater than that, bigger than that, but when evil is done in the world, there is a consequence supernaturally or spirit-wise or, or whatnot. I like this topic. Let's keep going on. It was going to be number two. We were going to hit the seance first, but let's flip them because okay. we're already yeah. on it and we'll do the seance later. The murder investigation, because we see, um, what was his name, Inspector Galsworthy, very mm-hmm. briefly. But I think it's a key scene to remember sort of the human side of this killing supernatural situation in London right now. And that is there's a murder investigation going on. These bodies are apparently, uh, maybe some of them are being drained of blood, what Sir Malcolm alludes to. Yeah, exanguination. That, and then also some of the bodies that were killed were taking the liver and kidneys reproductive organs. Yeah. Very much like Jack the Ripper was known to do. So is it Jack the Ripper? Is it something else? Well, can you tell us, Marissa, I don't know if you know or anybody who knows about this, what are we in the, historically, what are we taking these organs for? Or Jack the Ripper, yeah. was he taking organs the, and it was only from prostitutes? Or what's the deal with that? The theory, for me with Jack the Ripper, the what I know historically about it, and, and there's a ton of theories about this art engineer. Stephen and I were talking about this before we got on. There's a million theories about Jack the Ripper. Some people think the real Jack the Ripper didn't exist, and it was just a bunch of coincidental murders that mm-hmm. they pinned on. Um, but in the East End in London in the 1880s, First off, there was a ton of murders of prostitutes and other people because it was very poor, very working. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a crapshoot there. But 
Everybody kind of suspected that Jack the Ripper had medical training or was a doctor or a surgeon because the tools that this man was using to kill, what he was doing to the stomachs and the intestines and the way he would cut bodies open. And I don't believe real Jack the Ripper, at least in the books I've read about different theories, he wasn't necessarily taking organs. He was taking parts to mail to inspectors and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there was a medical aspect to him cutting open bodies Exanguinating, you know, the, taking blood. The out. fascination for you know disembodiment. Yeah. So and, personal also, pleasure. Jack, well, yeah, Jack the Ripper became arrogant throughout all these killings. Like, and he would, like Bobby said, send the organs to show his arrogance. Like, you can't catch and, me. And he was sending letters. There were a ton yes, of copycat letters. letters, and they don't know, but they 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 have sort of whittled down through history that there were several authentic. Jack the Ripper letters that were sent to police. So it was a was arrogance thing. Them. It was a taunting thing, was absolutely. Taunting. So, but to, but to get to your point about it, and and we won't predict anything right now, but we do know a couple people with medical experience in this show, and there's a medical connection to Jack the Ripper. So we already might have a few suspects. Just throwing it out there. Hmm. Huh. You guys think that we have already met the person who's doing this potentially? Well, I think so. I, absolutely. I thought that. <laughs> because I think it would make the storyline more exciting if it's someone who we already know and maybe even someone who's working with people that we already know to try and help out in other ways. Okay. It's like you can't, you always have to have, you know, like your two sides. Okay. What about the hieroglyphics now? Because that is something in the real Jack the Ripper story that obviously never comes up. Right. Um, Carrying beetles. I mean, they are a real thing known to eat away human flesh mm-hmm. and, and flesh. And we also saw that in the first episode. I wanted to get to that. That was also in my notes. But, but like, because carrion beetles are real. And that the fact that they use them in this storyline makes it somewhat realistic in the world that they're living in, which I thought was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, they eat away at the skin. We're left with just these hieroglyphics. And... We at first we don't know what they are until we find out that they're part of this bigger story and they shouldn't be paired together. Did I get that correct? We've got, yes. we've got these two Aminet and Amura and Amura um, because it sounds like this is the end of the world that's going to come when we pair these things. Well, uh, Amunra, who like that, that was in my, also in my notes that I left in the other room. But Amunra, he he's the primordial god who. And then uh, Amunet was the female hidden, like a hidden god, the hidden one, which is that Amunet is like the female counterpart to Amun-Ra. And one of them is the serpent prince, and it means that these together, it's everlasting perpetual life by feeding on souls of others. So basically, we decide that this is. Basically, they're the dark-seated Adam and Eve. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's a good way to look at it. Which yeah. would be the second Adam and Eve yeah. reference that there would what be there. Which, uh, which is interesting because Amun-Ra, because his name is Amun, but then when you add Ra to it, he's a being of light. It means like the sun and light. So the the whole contrast between darkness and then his name meaning light and symbol of that is really Not confusing me, but interesting how they paired the two up. So they're after uh, living forever. They're after attempting to figure out a way to live forever, uh, which is interesting when you think about, and I know we'll obviously talk about Dr. Frankenstein later, but uh, the differences between life and death versus a person who wants to live forever and eliminate death, not just come back from it, but 
never die. And it's a weird parallel with Dr. Frankenstein that, that Amunet and Amura are trying to live forever through the soul and right. keep on feeding on souls mm-hmm. to go soul to soul to soul and live forever in that way. And Dr. Frankenstein is trying to create the physical body to medically, live forever yeah. medically mm-hmm. with, with not the soul, but with just literally the parts. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's trying for, you know, immortality, but they're doing it in completely different ways. It's right. just an interesting dichotomy between those two. Absolutely. And I, I can't actually tell whether that's helpful or hurtful. You know that they, they're kind of after the same end game, but the way that they get there, um, at least for me right now, I don't know how you guys are feeling, but I am very much so Team Victor. Um, <laughs> he seems to be the only one that I, when he's on, I'm like, okay, I can breathe and I trust him. So uh, there's there's something about wanting to discover that through, like you were talking about, the actual physical being, as opposed to sucking on other people's souls and feeding on souls. That seems so much darker to me um, and and less legitimate, I suppose. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. Everything, every time I've done anything with Frankenstein involved, I've, I have it in my head not to trust Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that's what's stopping me from, I think he, he seems like a nice guy right now from the two episodes that we've seen from him and, you know, his whole interaction tonight. But there's still part of me that doesn't believe all of what we're seeing from him just yet. Absolutely. Especially when you were alluding to people having medical experience. Mm-hmm. He is one of them. Mm-hmm. Where is yeah? Where is he? Where is he getting these bodies? I don't know. And and, <laughs> and bigger than that, what don't we know about him that he has created before? Yeah. 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 We find that out at the end of the episode. Let's hold off on that because mm-hmm. I want to go to the seance first. Okay. Um, creepy as all get Holy out. Holy But seance. also, also really, a, Holy seance. a beautiful scene and a beautiful. I don't know if you'd call it a monologue, but a beautiful monologue oh. from. Vanessa Ives when she's possessed by this thing the whole time Tiana we were watching that thing and at the end of the thing it goes to the next scene I'm like that was amazing <laughs> that, yeah. that was so good and 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 also because there was like really two three moments throughout that whole seance where she embodies uh, I believe it was Aminette's spirit that went into her and then she was speaking Peter because we see in the first episode the picture of Sir Malcolm Murray's children that we believe is Mina and Peter because we we found out that Mina, he doesn't know where he is. He's trying to find her. But we don't know the whereabouts of his son, which we find out is Peter. And then having Peter's voice spoken through Vanessa was fascinating. Right. I want to break down actually all of the information we learned through this seance. Um, well, f- before we do that, though, first... We believe that this wasn't Vanessa just messing around. This actually was coming through. We believe that yeah. all these things were actually coming through her, correct? I think, I think it's coming through because Madame Kali immediately was like, there's another one here. Yeah. There's somebody mm-hmm. here. And, and her power, her mystic, you know, mysticism, whatever, was so supposedly powerful, and it's completely overtaken by what Vanessa's coming to the table with. Whether Vanessa realized she had it or not. <laughs> right. It's completely overtaken. I think it's totally real. And not only, but but at the very end, when she flips backwards so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's a non-human... Oh, the- body bending was also when she was doing that she was speaking in that lingara yeah um speech which is actually a language in the republic the republic of congo which is central africa and we know that sir malcolm was an african explorer so it makes Mm -hmm. me think that like peter died in africa Ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. Professor Marissa Serafini. <laughs> I know. Thank God we have her. She she always well. brings the knowledge. Um, but I, I don't know. It was it was so insane. Like you're talking about that. I I think the Matrix when I think of a body going back yeah. like that. But whatever whatever it is that's possessing her or coming through her, uh, is this something that happens to her a lot? 
she seems to have supernatural powers when we see her with the cards last week and, and her ability to read people. And last She's week when she comes, yeah, she comes face yeah. to face with the month and she stares it down. Uh, what is she? Is she, is she a witch? Is she? I, I wouldn't go so much as a witch, but a person, a medium, a conduit for spirits to communicate through. Better question. Does she realize she has these powers? I don't know. I think she knows that she's special and different, um, and she must, you know, after this many years of life, have figured out there's something to her, but I don't think she can define it or classify what's going on. And what is her, I don't know if maybe I missed this part of the information, but what is her relationship with Sir Malcolm? Because tonight, when you know she's kind of going through that thing, she's like, Vanessa saw you guys, she she saw you, you know, effing that girl, and I was like, wait, like, how long has he known her? Was she a child with him growing up? How long ago was this? Like, it just brought up so many more questions. Speaking about that, so she says, Vanessa saw you having sex with... Was was she with was he talking Mina? about Mina? He was having sex with his daughter? Is yeah. that... Well, I, I got the notion that Sir Malcolm had, in fact, had lust for his own daughter, which is messed up on a whole other level. Right. And Vanessa knew about it, which makes me think, if Vanessa knew about it, the reasons why she stuck with Sir Malcolm Murray this whole time. Like, she knows his darkest secrets. Yeah, but then why would that make her be on his team? You know, she seems to be so dedicated to him and so invested in this cause because we we figured that Mina is one of Vanessa's friends. Yeah, because we talked about it. But, but if she, Vanessa walked in on Mina supposedly being raped by her father... Then why is she helping the father? Means to an end? I suppose, but she seems to really uh, care for Malcolm. And and vice versa, because we see Sir Malcolm is kind of a surrogate father to Vanessa in a way. And what is this whole thing about you knew I was dying, didn't you, father? What is that? That well, was Peter. That, that was, was, Peter. That was, that was yeah. Peter's voice. But Peter was... Uh, dying of dysentery, which is, you know, um, a disorder of the bowels that, you know, you're pretty much shitting blood. <laughs> right, but so what it seems to me, if we put these two stories together, is we have a father who is sleeping with his daughter and um, either uninterested or unwilling to help his son. Or or made a horrible move to let his son come along first, because the son begged to go on the expedition. Now, right. I don't know how young mm-hmm. the son was supposed to be when it happened, but not a teenager, I don't think. Younger than that. Shouldn't have been traveling. It, right. It was in a very childlike voice, so it makes me think that Peter died at a young age. Okay, so so we know that Peter is dead. We know that we saw Mina last week. We don't know what state she's in, if she's alive, or whether that was a ghost-type thing or something taking over her body. Uh, but we can assume she resents her father for having sex with her? Or, or she had feelings but, back for him. But then she was also ended the whole thing with, you know, saying, like, save me, save me, help me, right. father. So I don't know if she necessarily. I think that was still Peter. Him. Well, one more thing about Peter. He keeps asking, Father, did you name a mountain after me? And I'm yeah. thinking about mountains. Where would he explore Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Everest? If he was in the Congo, like you say, you know how many mountains are in the Congo? Zero. It's mm-hmm. a rainforest. At least maybe not in the traditional sense that we know them. There are no high elevation mountains like Kilimanjaro and Kenya. So maybe I'm overthinking this, but did the father have maybe more of an active hand in Peter's death than just a, oh, come on the expedition. Oh, no, you're sick. Maybe mm-hmm. he kind of 
walked him to his death knowing Peter would die in the expedition, and then he came home and did something nefarious to the daughter as well, and Malcolm's actually a really bad dude, and we're about to yeah, find it Malcolm's out. Malcolm's not the best father that we're all leading to believe. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, last but, week, you know, he had a conversation with um, Vanessa where he said, where they both said, you know, we both have to live with our sins right. from mm-hmm. the past. So but now, what are Vanessa's sins then? I feel like she, this, whatever she her possessive thing him. that's coming out of her, maybe that has made her do other extremely things, bad things, because at, before this episode, I thought she had something to do with Mina's disappearance. Well, she said, she said, I'm to blame about yeah. Mina disappearing, and he says, we can't blame ourselves, whatever it is that he goes on to say, but I still, we don't know how Mina did disappear. Yeah. So maybe she did, and maybe that is her sin, and maybe, you're right, maybe something took over her body, and that forced Mina to disappear. But it didn't seem like Vanessa was involved in these sexual acts to me. Do you guys? Oh, I think no, absolutely not. not, not yeah. about okay. the sexual yeah. But we are led to believe that so Malcolm Murray had a hand in both of his child's supposed deaths. He was an active player in some way, if not an actual <coughs> yes. murderer. He, he he was he was more culpable than he probably obviously should have been. Right, but it doesn't seem like he cares as much about his son's death, or it hasn't seemed like that. But last week we hear him say he'll do absolutely anything to find his Kill daughter. The world. And maybe that's because he's in love with her. Or maybe that means that his son died from something tragic and his daughter, he believes, is still alive. So that's why he still has the hope and the drive to go find her because he knows for sure Peter's dead. But he doesn't know what's happening with his daughter yet. So he's keeping the faith alive and, you know, I think telling himself that she's still there. I mm-hmm. think it's also that Sir Malcolm Murray at this point, because we know that Peter died of dysentery, that Sir Malcolm Murray probably got to the point where he realized he couldn't save his son, Peter. And he felt guilty about that. But he did. De- do realize that he could possibly save his daughter, Mina. But it did seem like the son seemed upset with the dad. It didn't seem like he felt the dad had done everything he could. So I, it makes me question what kind of care was taken of him at the time. Just think, just listening to what Peter had to say to his dad in that scene, it seemed to me like Peter was so sick and maybe so young that his father didn't want to have to tell him, hey, you're dying. Maybe he thought Peter wouldn't understand what that meant if he was as young as, you know, his voice sounded there. And maybe he thought as a father he was doing the right thing by not telling him. Like keeping him you in know, the dark. Keeping him in the dark because as as a parent, you're going to want to protect your child, especially if they're young and dying and you know it. How scary would it be for the child to know that they're about to die? Well, th- that was also a medical, medical condition because there was the line where she, um, Vanessa was, you know, being Peter, but something that, like, there's no water and she can't drink which also makes me think that peter died of dehydration as well because of the dysentery right it, and i wonder about peter and and or about about sir malcolm murray and whether he's guilty or evil or whatever after this happened remember what we see him in very brief clips first he's sitting completely defeated alone at the seance table right. when everybody else is gone then he's riding home alone in the carriage and then he comes home and very quietly puts the blanket over her and whatever and walks away so there's some level of grief or sadness or depression there i don't know if a it's because he was embarrassed and mortified in front of everybody well of course that or <laughs> b because i mean because he's guilty and he's nervous or whatever now or b he's truly broken about the death and the disappearance and he's not at fault it's just heartbreaking and he never wants to bring it up well it's certainly a um i'm not saying that doesn't mean that it's partially b as well but imagine sitting there 
and having all of that take place, it's like a therapy session of yours coming out on tape, you know, literally all of his deep, dark secrets. But I'm sure him and Vanessa have never even discussed it. I bet he didn't even know that Vanessa knew. Well, here's my thing. Does Vanessa know or does the just does the being know? And Vanessa will wake up the next day and be like, what happened? I don't remember any of that. Well, Vanessa we'll knows see. that she's what she saw. I'm sure. I don't think she knows she announced it to the table, but she knows that what she walked in on. Um but I, I doubt she ever said anything to him. So this is like her confronting him saying, I know what you did, but it's not really her because it's the spirit, uh, which makes it all the more difficult. Yeah. And and the state that she ends up in, I mean, she she bursts out of the room. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was waiting to get to this part. And then she finds this sexy man on the street and just starts licking him. Like, literally, that's what happened, <laughs> like, right? Does anybody, does, rain. does anybody in London in 1890 kiss, or do they just, like, lick each other's face? I'm, like, thinking that that <laughs> was supposed to be where I'm from that <laughs> oh, time. <laughs> I'm a total face licker. <laughs> that's right, guys. You could find Roxy on Tinder. <laughs> I told you I deleted it. Okay. Uh, I, I think it was more the the way that she was having sex with this guy. It was more carnal than actual romance. It was animalistic possession. She's like coming down from the possession. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there is there is a distinction Ecstasy. here, actually. The other two times we've had big sex scenes in this show, the first one with Josh Hartnett with Chandler in the first scene, yeah. he was the aggressor shall we say he was the one doing the work and then dorian gray who we'll talk about later was doing all the work in the other sex scene today guess what not to get too graphic she's on top yeah she's doing the work she's wearing the pants you know she's asserting herself she's the player here yeah she absolutely and eva green is just so good at it (laughs) apparently and (laughs) all of her roles that she's played yeah and i think that more women should just walk down the street and find a sexy stranger and push him up against a wall and start having her way with them no words exchange (laughs) no words exchange in the rain not rape sorry guys i'm sorry ladies and gentlemen i don't know what's going on with this side of the table but (laughs) i'm totally with you i was like whoa i'm like sitting there i'm like Okay. Wow. It was a hot scene. Oh, that was hot. But but you also have to think about the times that they're also in. Are, are women most known to be that aggressive? No, which is why I think it's really important what Bobby was just saying about her being the one on top, both physically and metaphorically. Uh, she's a big player at this table right now, and she's definitely not to be um, mistaken for anything but that. Before we move away from the seance... One more very important person we have to talk about, Lyle. I love that Lyle. He's just so goofy. <laughs> He's the comedic relief in the show, and I love him. He's, He's so wonderful. funny, and like he has the best one-liners, like the gin helped. I want to <laughs> hang out with his wife. Yeah. I'll tell you what. But the wife is mortified, but the gin helped. So, I mean, gin always helps, along with vodka. And you will not <laughs> be invited back to the party. <laughs> not inviting her back. Yeah. I mean, just like those simple lines just like really lightens everything that just happened. Yeah. But he is important because he's the one who tells us about Aminette and Amura and what's going on with this. So, I mean, he obviously has value being the Egyptian expert, but he's, you know, you have to have a little comic relief in a show like this. Because right. Frankenstein's yeah, not giving it to us. And absolutely right now, I think we're looking at him as the light, funny relief um, for the show. But I be careful because, honestly, he's the only one who has the knowledge that he does. So we don't know if he's telling us the truth. We don't know if he's playing us or who he's really working for or what he's mm-hmm. trying to steer us towards. Um, it's like being able to speak a whole other language, you know, and and I I have him on my radar, you know. I'm, I'm not just looking at him as this funny guy. I'm looking at him as a really smart guy. He's really smart, and that's scary. And well-connected. Yeah. 
Because he had a lot of important people at that party, too, who weren't very... Madame Kali. Yeah. Which I just got to point out, the, the wardrobe of Madame Kali and Vanessa. Vanessa was in purple. Madame Kali was in green. The only women at the table who weren't in black. Everyone, all the other women were in black clothing. The woman right next to Vanessa was in white. White, white, okay. Yeah. But I, I just find it But something colorful. Yeah, I find it fascinating how Madame Kali and Vanessa, the only two people that em- embodied the spirits, wore color. Hmm. Interesting point. Um, I have a quick question that just popped into my head, and I'm just making sure I'm not missing anything. When the spirits do go through Vanessa or whatever you want to call that, or at any other point in the last two episodes, have we figured out anything about um, the the mother of Peter? And who do we know anything about the mom and of Mina? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. Not as of yet. Yeah, we don't know if she's alive, dead, gone, here, nothing. Okay. Mental institution. Although I believe Sir Malcolm Murray wears a ring. I um, noticed that when he was sitting at the seance table totally broken, he's definitely got a ring on his left ring finger. Which okay. is interesting because they said the line, please remove all jewelry. And if Malcolm kept the ring on, what does that mean? Yeah. He or did. he put it back on. Or, but yeah, yeah that's a great maybe. point. Yeah. Because did he didn't take anything off because they hold the bowl up next to Lyle. And I noticed he put it in. I was like, oh. Malcolm didn't put anything in there. Hmm. I wonder why. But Hmm. I'm telling you, his wife's locked up in a mental institution because that's what they used to do to women back then. Just saying. Sounds like you have a personal... (laughs) (laughs) I was was really angry about that. That That sounds definitive. So your great, 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 great grandmother... Some, I mean, it's the 1800s where your grandmother wasn't a free woman. So. Somebody's editorial. <laughs> oh, oh, right. She wishes she was in the mental You guys were drinking water on this side of the table. They're drinking gin over on that side of the and, table. And you know what? Cheers to that. Cheers. I, I will drink my gin. You guys enjoy your water. All right. While they get drunk, before we move on topics, remember, hey, we were number one last week on this show. Without us, it was just Marissa and Roxy. It was number one on After Buzz. Thank you, guys. Let's do it again this week. So if you were listening, on iTunes, comment, rate us. If you're watching on YouTube, comment below. And you guys got to get on Twitter and tweet Roxy. She's the best. We'll give out Twitter handles at the end of the show. But if you're listening or following along, you know, give yeah. us some love. iTunes, YouTube, whatever. Thank you for the awesome comments on YouTube last week. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Informative. Amazing. Loved it. Loved Wait, it. Can, can you say that word one more time, though? W-I-T-H-O-U-T? Without? Oh, without. <laughs> without. Okay. Okay. <laughs> No. You Canadian all of a sudden? Yeah, what, like, no, that's what you said. Without. And I was like, that? Wait a minute, Roxy. Roxy. Past, Roxy. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why are we here without? I all think right. she's actually drinking gin. Let's move on to our third topic. I, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Brona. Uh, we meet Brona Croft. And in connection with her, we're going to talk a little bit about Ethan Chandler and a little bit about Dorian Gray. So first thing I noticed about Brona is her accent and her personality. She's a little spunky. Ooh, love um, her. She's Irish. She Yeah, so, so the factories didn't work out for her. She's the first uh, casualty of the technological world, maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but it didn't work out. So she, <laughs> she, she gets in the flesh trade. Interesting. <laughs> if it works for That's her, a sure. nice way to put it. I think she put it like yeah, that. Yeah, she Didn't did. Didn't she say, it's like, very, you can start working in the flesh? Yeah, it's yeah. a very nice way to put, you know, I... My first question, and I know Roxy has an opinion on this. I'm just learning very quickly. <laughs> does does Chandler have a little crush on her? Oh, oh yeah. He's smitten. He's smitten. Why? Uh, I, I he think, can do better. Oh, my gosh. I, I think she's... Awesome. I think her personality is what he likes. Yeah, she's kick-ass, man. She seems down-to-earth, like, eh, that didn't work. Whatever, I moved on. Got over it. I mean, she also just went up and grabbed the man's bottle of whiskey. 
in the morning and poured herself a drink and was like, he was like, nice to meet you too. She's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to drink this up. I'm going to refill it again. She's also got what disease though? And she coughed in front of him and coughed con- to it. Consumption, which is also so, uh, tuberculosis, which is known for being um, in England. At, at that time, there was that whole, um, you know the black lung or whatever. Right. that whole yeah, consumption thing consumption. threw me off yeah, yeah. absolutely tuberculosis which affected like 80 percent of civilians in england I is it think, contagious I, no it was actually believed that it wasn't contagious it was just like it, it was an environmental thing i i think that People what we have to what we have to yeah. realize about uh his character about ethan's character is that so far we have seen him in two episodes we have seen him have animal sex with this girl up against some like carny truck didn't know her name no didn't know her name and and she wanted to learn and he had no interest hey we've all been there (laughs) have we Uh, maybe not have we really (laughs) um so we see that then last week if you listened to our after show you know that i thought that there were some sparks with him and vanessa um, so, or at least that he was flirtatious and then he does ask to know her name. And the card with and, the lovers. Right. In the card with the lovers. So those are two, the only two women we've seen him interact with and those are the interactions. And then tonight, uh, obviously we, we see sparks. So I'm thinking he's a ladies man. Oh, definitely. Oh, he's definitely a ladies man. Which, which means that I can't put too much weight into the fact that they were flirting, but I get why he likes her. She's spunky. She's different. Um, he's an American guy. He probably likes the, something different or what you know um i i just think i could see it i think she was cool and i think she was really down to earth and she grabbed his whiskey yeah. what man doesn't want a woman who grabs their whiskey a man who a man things. who bought the bottle of whiskey and wants to drink it himself yeah. i mean it was like you don't eight o'clock in the whiskey, morning he didn't need all that whiskey not with somebody with tuberculosis as breakfast think about it she's yeah. that kind of woman who doesn't care she's, she's clearly like, my cousin <laughs> just saying Bring so it sounds like there's it. a story there too um <laughs> So, okay, so Chandler, I mean, but here's my question about him, because I think you're right. He's a total ladies' man. Right. But it's to this point, it's been very carnal and been very animalistic, I guess you might want to say, yep. because there's a lot of animalistic sex going on on this show. But here with with, uh, with Brona Croft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here with, I knew it. I knew it. Sorry. I'm just going to look at Tiana. <laughs> Tiana. Yes. No, no Roxy. Let's just ignore her. Here, here with Brona Croft now, he asks her to dinner. He first asks her to breakfast, then asks her to dinner. He's not saying, hey, let's go have sex, because he knows she's a prostitute. He's asking her on dates. Right. What's up? This is the classic bad boy finding the girl to, you know, settle him down. The ladies' man finds the right girl. You find that right girl, and you can change him. Ladies, it is possible. I'm lying. It's not. Or, or, <laughs> or is it the classic guy finds a bad wow. girl and wants to quote unquote rescue her? Because yeah. that happens a lot. That's totally what mm-hmm. I'm seeing. Um, he wants to swoop Happy in and save. Uh, especially because he sees she's sick. She's I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, Does he but, pick up on the fact that she's sick? Because when she first coughed that one cough, I don't know, maybe because I'm not from that time. But if someone turned and coughed, I wouldn't think, oh my god, she has tuberculosis. There's no blood or anything. We don't see the blood until she coughs with Dorian Gray. I think I think with that, because it's film on television, that's one of those things where if it was a real scene, she'd never cough or they'd shoot it again. So the cough is so significant for the film aspect, you know that when you're watching it, it's got to be 
something. Yeah. Yeah. Does. But I agree uh, with you. If it was, was just, just a like, regular oh, maybe cough. it's a sniffle, yeah. you know. But coughing, yeah. like you're saying, because we're not from them, we don't take it as, uh, we take it very lightly, a cough. But back then, if you got sick, people assumed you're sick and you're going to die. Like, that was the assumption, you know. If you have the, a cough, the that's, why, that's why we say God bless you, you know, because it's literally like, even if I'm sneezing, it's like the whole world's going to stop. You need to be blessed because you're going to die. We don't have med- we don't have all this stuff. Not that it was not a thousand years ago, but um, yeah, I think that we're supposed to pick up on the fact that he realizes she's sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have really like something guilty to say out loud, guys. Uh oh. Oh goodness. Well, if we're if we're gonna talk about her and Dorian, I, I just was so into that I couldn't even. Like, I was Bron- into it. Bron- and and even the even the blood. I didn't oh, care. I thought part. that was the sexiest thing. I know it was weird. I was like, uh oh. I watched too many vampire shows and stuff, and oh my god. I mean, I'm with you. I was feeling it until she coughed the blood in his face. Yeah, but his facial expression back. I mean, he was, he was clearly injured, and I mean, if someone's down for that kind of stuff, like, okay, that's a keeper. But, if that were me, I'd be like, okay, you gotta go. Mm -mm. Marissa, is it getting hot in here, or is it just me? (laughs) I was really into that. I can't, I thought that... I definitely have to say, like, I loved how they shot it. It was very romanticized in a carnal way, but it was visually stunning and entrancing, which would definitely pull the audience Can I just read you the one line of notes I wrote for that scene, Roxy, that you went crazy for? I think we got the same one. Dorian Gray in a porn with Brona. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's what yeah. it was. Because yeah. the guy was taking pictures. That's the first porn. Yeah. There you go. Literally. That's like, yeah. how do we... Yeah, yeah we, we should go try to watch it somewhere or something. Empty what did you just say? Um, I'm sorry to swear in advance, but this is the exact quote. I love I've never fucked a dying creature before. That was a great do line. Do you feel more deeply, I wonder? So this is such an unbelievable introduction to Dorian Gray. Uh, we're starting to... Because... The character, uh, obviously, um, people who are diehards like Marissa, who have read Picture Drawing Great, whatever, but the character is not as well known as some of these, like Frankenstein, whatever it is. Um, so, Marissa, is there anything you can tell us about I, the character that we should know going into this, you feel like? Well, the thing about Dorian Gray, he becomes a very vain man. He he embraces beauty like no other. Like, right. If you, if you were ugly, he... He was very dismissive about it. He always lived his life that, like, this is beautiful. And he he was big on vanity. And if he saw, like, one flaw in a person, he would obviously, like, discard them like they were nothing. Mm -hmm. So seeing Brona having this one medical flaw and condition with her, and the fact that he wasn't turned off, he was actually turned on by blood, and her character, it's interesting how they're portraying Dorian in this story. Right. It just seemed to me like he had this dark, artsy lust side to him that was so intriguing, in my opinion. He also said creature and not yeah, human creature. not person so it's that animalistic idea yeah. again it's like what other creatures have you been uh, <laughs> no okay. absolutely absolutely and dorian gray was known to be a person to because of his his life that he could do anything that could physically harm the body but it would get transferred to his portrait known for the story so he was the kind of person who was known to trying different dangerous things with having any without any qualms in his life he would just go for it sounds like he was the first yolo yeah, in a way, you can say that. He really was. Thank you guys. Like I'm that. here all week. Yeah, that was good. I'll oh. give it to you. Wow. Hashtag yeah. yellow. But I mean, even you know, I think that was just sort of the setup because then 
what was can we talk about how he kind of creeped up on Vanessa when she was in the alley? Yeah, what's and, the significance of that? Yeah. I was I thought he was kind of jealous that he wasn't the guy that she no, ended up with. It's like even before that, during the first interaction yeah. with Vanessa, yeah. I thought was sexy because we see in the first episode yeah. how Vanessa reads people. And then we saw Dorian reading Vanessa this Yeah, time. It's the whole mm-hmm. ear neck thing that's always so sexy. Then and when he when you are so confident that you can speak to somebody that closely, you're yeah. like breathing on them. Um in your first interaction, yeah. do you let anyone get that close to you? Oh no, please yeah. continue, Roxy. I'm just gonna take some notes from my next date here. So <laughs> ear, neck, neck yeah, confidence. Yeah. Breathing, confidence. Yeah, breathing you know, closely. Um, the, the thing about the hand the, like whisper like, talk. Yeah, the, yeah. Light, the light graze against her fingertips. Yeah. Oh, this is good stuff. Okay. Um, like careful because right. it could be taken as creepy, but if you do it right. Are you kidding? Look at me. I'm not creepy. Do yeah. it with a nice little smirk and she'll love it. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And if she coughs blood, do I just Lick her face. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, okay. But going back, Dorian is <laughs> bringing us back uh-huh. into this. Dorian is a very smart, intelligent man. We can tell like he reads people too, and I I love how he used that same kind of um, body language with Vanessa out of all people, mm-hmm. who's known for reading and picking up on different people. Because we also saw that brief moment when she was with. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein and saying our young doctor has a secret. So she's smart in that way. She She's observant and then also seeing Dorian, Dorian being observant. And, and Dorian's That's a, sexy. Dorian's I a bit of a daredevil too in the sense that A, Vanessa tells him at the party, she says, well you could say no and he immediately is like, I, I never, never say, no. say no. And then B, Vanessa would have never sat down at that seance table if she wasn't led there by Mr. Right. Dorian Gray. Grabbing mm-hmm. her hand. Immediately. He was like the first one down. Zoom... Yeah. And after seeing what she was capable of and, and what flowed through her, he was even, you know, that for most people, I would say that'd probably be a turn off for him. Total turn on, followed her outside and watched her bang this guy out on like a pile of trash. Well, obviously he's not, Dorian's not faced by a lot of things. Yeah, very true. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see where his character goes, because I think they're trying to lead us to believe right now that he's the bad guy or one of the bad guys um and i'm not sure if that's true i think right now they right now they have me trying to believe that he's amun ra and she's like the amun Aminette, you know but i think that that's just what they want you to believe and that it's actually going to be something different hmm. hold on to that thought we'll do predictions in a second first though let's go to maybe the most sympathetic storyline the nicest storyline of the show dr victor frankenstein my boyfriend and- is Proteus your boyfriend or Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Okay, cool. Victor, Frankenstein and Proteus. Um, there's a lot to talk about with these guys. The first one and the saddest mm-hmm. one, I have a dog. I know you guys have pets. And their dog's just hanging out in the AfterBuzz studios. There's a lot of dogs around here. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you leave a dog at home, they get sad. They come to the door. Wow. They wait for you. Proteus did that when Victor had to go. I How, like, sweet Proteus. and sad was that? I didn't, I didn't see it like a, an animal being left by its owner. I saw it like a child being left by its parent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it was it was really sad, and I think that Frankenstein's done a really good job training him up to this point, though, and knowing when it was okay to take him outside versus leaving him there. Well, um, of course he does because Proteus is now we know not his first disciple, right? Yes. Which I don't even know what that means. But I wanted to talk for a second about. I was like, you know, they're going through these. Sh- what? 
I just love you. Just keep talking. You're the best. um, I'm looking. We're going through uh, this name. You know, what's your name going to be? He's flipping through the book. Proteus is what. Shakespeare is Proteus. Two men of Verona. So the two gentlemen of Verona. Yeah. yeah, Um, And so I looked up what that meant, what Proteus meant. Um, and in person. Uh, well, no, I know it's a it's a person, but what the actual name means? Why Shakespeare named one of his main two characters in the Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, Proteus, and it means um, god of rivers or sea, got something to do with sea. And then later on, we learned something about the ocean. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. That he that Proteus, we think he was a. Uh, and the a, thing with the whaler, yeah, a whaler, yeah. and, Which, and that, that was interesting. So that's the connection and, there. Yeah. And let's be real honest, it's significant that Victor allowed Proteus to have the agency to pick his own name. Right. That's a significant scene, shows he cares, shows it's on some level almost an equal partnership of friends, not, not, you know, father son or father pet or project or experiment, but almost a friend who's going to choose his own name. And also the fast progression of this creature, because last week we just saw him become alive and now he's already speaking. He's learning education. He's being self taught. Victor's teaching him too. He's singing. So, like that progression because in the story as we know the frankenstein monster was self-educated he taught himself how to speak and communicate with people and then we see it kind of tonight but it completely took a turn listen before the turn though one of the most beautiful things one of the most beautiful scenes i've seen in anything in a long time movie television whatever in a long time is victor taking proteus out on the street it's an awful street scene it's cloudy it's hazy (laughs) it's an ugly street but the beauty of him discovering all that stuff and Mm -hmm. going down to the dock or the river or whatever and seeing the boat and talking about his wife doreen i think the name was yeah the whole thing i'm just like this is a gorgeous scene which made the end all the more tragic well, it wasn't. That's what I was thinking. Like, what is this similar to? It's not similar to the first time a baby opens its eyes because this he he knows what's going on. He speaks words now. He remembers the wife and all of these things. It's almost like uh, somebody who's been taken captive and you know hasn't been able to go out the world, like a, a prisoner or a slave of some sort. Down. Yeah, I was gonna. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say like someone who was blind their whole life, who right. was given sight for the first time, right? Like that exactly. Uh, which is why it was so beautiful. Uh, all the little things that you take for granted, or when it's cloudy outside, like you're saying, it, it's gray. It looks like crap. You don't want to be there. But to him, that's so beautiful because it's life, and and he didn't have it, and now he has it back. Um, and having it back and starting to remember things from his life, right. being Doreen. And I wish they went more onto that. I Dor- wish they did too. And it, it's got to be relevant because they gave her a name. Otherwise, they would have just stuck with wife. But the thing that really baffles me and I can't quite conceptualize this yet is if you go to last week which to me was like you were just saying the most beautiful scene you've seen in a long time to me was the most incredible scene I've seen almost ever on any show or movie when they finally he finally cries he he brought him back to life against time brings him to life and they're both looking at each other touching each other's tears uh, and and it was so monumental it's so huge that I can't grasp this being the second or third or fourth time it's happened. You know, it seemed so original and unique like the first time that tonight when we see this guy break out of the skin and him say that he's bat, you know, and and we're supposed to think that this is your firstborn firstborn has returned. I was thinking, how is that possible? You know, because then why would he be crying tears of joy for this other person to be born if it's already happened and it was disastrous. No, I think it was a reason maybe why Victor was crying 
when we saw last week was that he was the realization that he created something more beautiful than last time. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. It's the, the, the success. The first one that he created, this, 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 your firstborn has returned father, was evil in some way. Or, but, but how would you know that off of first appearance? He didn't look No, no, evil. I, I don't know. We don't know the backstory. I'm just saying that Victor knows that the firstborn was evil and maybe Victor had to kill him or do away with him. And this secondborn, Proteus, was a kind soul or something and Victor because recreated it. he was it. in like the corner hiding. He didn't know what to do. Maybe when the first one came to, he was already like in a rage and like destroying stuff. And this time Proteus came and, you know, when the when he finally found him, he was in the corner, kind of hu- huddled, and that's the that's the thing that answers it. Because how would you know that Proteus was good off of first appearance, and you think it was the when he was naked in the corner? And- oh, I think it's before death. I think with both of them, it's before death. With the first creature, it was an evil person before death, and Victor created from an evil discarded body, and then he created a, a you know his a monster, his, his monster. Better. And then the second person, Proteus, whatever his name was before died, was a good human being, and Victor took a good human being. I don't know how they define, you know, what that means, but he knew that this was going to be a kind. So my question is, pertinent question here, how did the monster get out of Proteus? Did did Victor use some of the same organs and parts, and the monster grew through I, those? I actually think the, mon- the, the monster that we saw at the end was a completely different person, too, because we saw when they were walking down the basement... Victor quickly closes the door that was slightly ajar, so it makes me led to something. But someone got in there, and then we saw just the hand coming through the back, like so, someone like ripped his that monster ripped his hand through. Proteus. So you so think- he was behind him, not inside him. Yeah, no, I don't think it was inside him. That was just like ripping apart. I'm killing this dude because he's right in front. Oh, of me. I thought he was inside, uh, I he was inside of him. Inside no. of it. At first, I thought about it, but then when I saw he Victor close the door, it makes me think someone got inside there, and he was waiting for. Victor and Proteus to return. Or somebody was in that thing with the door closed and Victor noticed the door was ajar, had to shut the door, and, and it was too late. Right, but exactly. if, you go off, if you go off that theory, that would make me believe that Victor never actually killed this monster. So instead of killing the monster, he hid him away somewhere. Somehow he got free and then ventured into Victor's uh, laboratory yeah. and did this. To me, it visually looked like something was coming out of him, not from behind him poking through, but literally like breaking through him, which was making me think a lot of the same organs were used or the same mm-hmm. not spell, but see, recipe or whatever it was. See, I don't think so because the monster at the end was bigger, taller, more, like, I don't think that big of a creature could fit in the, as small as Proteus was. So I believe it's a completely different entity. And because the Frankenstein story that we know that they the two parted ways, um, Frankenstein and the monster went their own separate ways. So makes it makes me of. think that the the creature, this monster, came back just like tonight's episode. Yeah. Um, well, when I was watching, I was on the same page as Roxy, but I I see what you're saying. Yeah. It just when I was watching it, um, when we watched it together, because that was my second viewing. It looked like he was so far back against the wall that I didn't... Because I kept looking when it first happened. I was like, how did someone get behind him? I thought someone had pierced him with a sword. Yeah, me too. And and I was looking for a sword. And I was like, but there's a wall there. So there's not room for someone to be straight up behind him. So then that's why I started thinking... Because the hands kind of come through. And, you know, that's what made me think that someone was crawling through him. Yeah. Let's play off that theory for a second, though. Say that he was... It was actually something inside of him why did it take this long to hatch you know to build the trust and to get vic if it's after revenge getting victor to like this guy and to care for him and then to do that to him 
look at how heartbroken Victor is because that is some someone that he loved, someone that he cared about. Mm-hmm. So you're hurting him more by making and him care that's first. that's also the story of Frankenstein because Dr. Frankenstein was supposed to build a female counterpart for the monster but decided not to go through with it. And then the monster became uh, jealous or like revengeful pretty much against Victor because he didn't create this female counterpart that he promised to. So Victor was supposed to build another body, another creature. So it makes me believe, because of the story, that Victor built another creature. And two different bodies. As like a playmate? Or just, like built just another like an creature? Experience. I just feel like with all the soul things that we've been talking about with yeah. this show, that they were two different bodies, but maybe like the soul of... One of them got inside, and I don't know. I just think that it's weird, everything in this show. There's no right answers. It's And it's significant to me that the monster kills Proteus and then does not kill Victor. So right. he's not there for death in his revenge. He wants something else. He's there for revenge. He might be after a wife. Ooh. Because, well, that that's... I'm just going off of the Frankenstein folklore story that, like, the monster wanted a female wife. Yeah. I know a girl named Brona who might fit the bill. <laughs> there you go. She'll go after anybody. She might die too soon, though. Yeah, seriously. Hey, I understand that uh, Professor Serafini, Marissa here, you've got, <laughs> you got some news and gossip for us, right? I do. Some news and after gossip. TV news. So last week I talked about during the whole promotion of show t- uh, Showtime with Penny Jeffels, they created the interactive windows. There's one display in New York and one down here in Hollywood. So yesterday being May 17th, yesterday, I went down to Hollywood and I checked out the show Penny interactive windows. It's so cool. I was like, it's, it's only available up until today, May 18th. So are these if you pictures it, you took? These are the pictures I took. Oh, um, sweet. If you're listening on iTunes, I highly suggest oh, wow. you go to YouTube and check out the Penny Dreffel pictures that we are showing right now. So I just, these are just a few pics of the, what they look like downtown Hollywood. Um, we see that when people walk by, you can see like a female walking by, but in the shadows, you would see a woman in a dress in like a Victorian England dress. Ooh. And then if you see like a bus pass by, you can see like a horse and buggy pass by in the window. Oh, it was awesome. Wow. And then um, really cool. different windows just had like the pictures of the characters of Showtime. It's like that ride at Disney. What is it? Um, Haunted Mansion? And it, going- Yeah, in a way. And then this picture is just like it, how big it is. It, it encased four different windows. And very interactive. And there, there's another picture where there's like the peepholes that you can look into. And of course, me, here's the peephole right now on this picture. But you can look into it and see like different clips of one of them in particular was you can see the back of Victor Frankenstein just like in his science office just working mm-hmm. on something. And then others were like the part of the intro that creatures that you see very very cool i highly suggest anyone go down it's only available up until today today being the last day if you missed out then you missed out then but you're lucky you took pictures for us yeah. Marissa, it seemed like there was writing on the side what did it say there was a oh it was just like promotional check out penny dreadful and uh-huh. all these new characters interactions with each other just like a great beautiful promotion of penny dreadful and i i actually just went down there to see it and i met these other women who went down there just to see the displays as well and it's pretty cool so uh, a lot of people in you know it's grabbing attention of a lot of different people it was awesome Cool. And also, yesterday being May 17th, yesterday, uh, there was the premiere of the Salvation uh, film, uh, 
at the Cannes Film Festival that Eva Green is actually a part of. She plays a character in that film. And so there, there's just a bunch of photos and stuff available on the internet. You, uh, Vanessa, sorry, not Vanessa, Eva Green, um, she wore this beautiful red gown at the Salvation premiere in Cannes yesterday. So check that out. That was pretty cool. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Marissa. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, guys, you ready for predictions? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're after Buzz TV. Before we predict anything, though, guys, one thing that we learned about Ethan tonight, I know he wasn't big, but we did, he did get that letter from his father. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're so, so, you just totally jumped on my prediction. Oh, sorry, but we didn't talk oh, about it, so man. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we talked about it for a right, second. Right, and the letter said that uh, he should come home and that everything that he did that was illegal would be taken care of and... The federal marshal was paid off. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Tiana, Tiana, I would expect Roxy to do something like that. <laughs> that's true. You. That's a total Roxy move. I, mean, I, just wanted, I just wanted to remind everyone that that happened. So as we're going into our predictions, oh, you could have man. predictions about it. All right. Well, okay. you know what? Let's go down the list from there because I got to come up with a new prediction now. Well, what's your no, prediction about that? I was, I was going to say something about that and I didn't have anything too specific, but I think that the father letter is some kind of a red herring and the dad or whoever it is, if it was really his father, wants Ethan home but either the law has not been paid off or the marshal has not been paid off and taken care of or the marshals are going to come looking for him. Ethan has some something dark in his past involved with that and that isn't the end of that or else we wouldn't have seen the letter and either the American government's going to come for him or something else is going to happen that he's going to deal with externally to the situation going on in London right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. We know he's running from his past. Because yeah, that. something yeah. bad's in his mm-hmm. past. I don't know if it's supernatural or not but something's coming for him from America. Okay. Um, I don't really, I have something, but I don't know how to, I don't know what it is, but we talked about how, um, Proteus had a wife and her name was Doreen. Doreen, Dorian. Kind of similar in a way. So maybe there's some linkage between that whole aspect of things, but I don't know if it will come to life or not. But when I heard her name, I instantly thought of Dorian Gray. Okay. Um, uh, we see in previews for next week that Vanessa is asking Malcolm what he hasn't told her yet. I have a feeling that there's going to be a little bit of a rift between uh, Vanessa and Malcolm, and they aren't going to be able to completely stay on the same page and or team for very long. Interesting. I think because Ferdinand Lyle, as much as I love him and how he's the informant pretty much, he's giving all the exposition and answering the questions that we're we're questioning so i think something might happen to him because he's so knowledgeable more knowledgeable than a lot of people right now so i mean i don't know what's gonna happen but i think he's definitely a target after something his wife's gonna like, need a lot of gin after that <laughs> yeah. i'll go i'll hit exactly. a i'll hit a home run with this prediction it's either gonna be true or it's not and it probably won't be but i think victor is the Jack the Ripper character. He's got mm. the medical experience. He has the ability to do it because he lives alone in that dungeon and he can come and go kind of as he pleases. He's he's a sympathetic guy, but he's also a little strange because of yeah. what he's doing and where he's at. And he's got secrets. And I think Victor is out there killing girls and killing families and cutting off or, arms. He's possible. the one. Or is it his first monster? Yeah, I think it might be the first monster that's after thing, maybe. But I'm going to go the simpler. Thing, I stick to Victor. The, well, the thing with me and Victor, the, there's such a conflict with him because we see in the first episode when he's talking to Sir Malcolm that he's like, he, his science is pretty much just the life and death. Those are his two extremes and why he studies science the way it is. 
so him being this person after women makes me kind of goes against his whole reasons why he's doing his research and studies. Right. So I'm thinking it's not Victor. I, I don't know if I think it's Victor um, because, as I told you guys, I'm on his team. But to support that theory, we do hear Vanessa, who is some sort of a seer and and has knowledge of things uh, that are medium. unworldly mm-hmm. medium. Uh, she says that he is secrets. You know, so everyone has secrets. Yeah, but we don't know what his are. Victor's is. I think he's too obvious to be the. I think that's character. why he's perfect. Because I mean, everybody, yeah, he's, he's the red herring who turns out to not be the red herring. Yeah. That's why I think he's perfect. Because everybody about episode one or two is like, he's the guy. Then by episode four, everybody's going to be like, nah, he's not the guy. He is. And then by okay. episode seven, he's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. All right, guys, before we wrap up, where can we find you? Twitter, Instagram, give it to us. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Tiana Hobson. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. I am on Twitter at Bobby Demiro, on Instagram at Mr. Bobby Demiro because I'm formal. Guys, if you are late night tweeters, for the love of God, you have to tweet Roxy. She's on at like 3 a.m. every day. And she is so <laughs> Roxy funny. and I, I can't believe. Seriously, she's hilarious on Twitter at like 3 a.m. That's it for and the Penny you. Dreadful and after show. And follow Showtime right now. Penny Dreadful too on Twitter too. They're is it awesome. S- they retweet us a lot. Yeah, they started following me. It was like yeah. a big win for me. They're wow. awesome. Wow. Best news for the month for Roxy. Thank you guys for commenting on YouTube and on iTunes so far. Keep doing it. We want to hear from you. So tweet us. Get on YouTube and comment. And if you're listening on iTunes, get on the YouTube video and watch for Marissa's pictures from News and Gossip tonight. They are pretty cool. That's it for the show, guys. For Tiana, Roxy, Marissa, I'm Bobby. We'll see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 